Hi everyone, I'm John Offord, I'm a broadcaster based in the UK and welcome to Different Minds, a podcast series that looks at neurodiversity, the different ways our brains can work and interpret information. Today we're going to talk about male suicide to mark World Suicide Prevention Day. Suicide is the biggest killer of men in Britain between the ages of 20 and 50, but we don't seem to talk about it. It's also worth pointing out, although there was no guarantee the impact of COVID-19 would lead to higher suicide rates, Samaritans said its research, based on calls to its helpline, found the pandemic had exasperated known risk factors for people already vulnerable. I'm delighted to be joined by writer, mental health campaigner and advocate and freelance media consultant Richard Taylor. Richard, good morning. Morning, John. Thank you for for having me. It's a real pleasure to be here. Great. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Richard. So I just wanted to talk about, you wrote an article in The Guardian a few years ago about male suicide and the fact that we don't seem to talk about it much. Why do you think that is? I think traditionally it's a big stigma for men to talk about their emotions and feelings generally. Um, I think part of the problem is that um, particularly when it comes to suicide, whether whatever gender you are, that carries such a weight of shame and, and um, you know, self-stigma almost, not even necessarily, you know, the views that society might place on it, but, but how we hold suicide in our own minds. And I think for guys, it can be so difficult to start that conversation, even to start accepting it for yourself. And part of the problem as well is that whether it's suicide or other mental health problems, it's all well and good to talk about it, but the services are still not in place to be able to deal with the influx of people that are you know, now coming forward and talking about their problems. And, and as you mentioned, the, the coronavirus pandemic is sure to play uh, a part in, in figures and statistics. And, and obviously, that will all have to come in time. But certainly, it's a case that male suicide is still on the agenda or still needs to be. And, and there's still very much... Uh, a place to talk about it and and to to put it out in the open that this is still a huge issue. Um, recent ONS statistics uh, point that you know this is a twenty year high for the male suicide rate in England and Wales. Um, Papyrus, the uh, charity for preventing young suicides under the age of thirty five. Uh, link that suicide is the biggest killer of young people um, and that and on an average 200 school children take their own life every year and, and this isn't something that's going away if anything this is something that is slowly getting worse so whatever we're doing needs to change and, and change pretty quickly. So you touched on it there. So what what tangible things do you do you think need to be done to help break the stigma of talking about mental health and suicidal thoughts? I mean, I think it's starting to hit the fore. Um, I mean, when you when you obviously get the tragic events um, of the suicides connected with uh, Love Island and and the impact that the media has on you know whether that be sort of 
minor celebrity suicides or, or average suicides, the reporting of issues is so um, detrimental to the campaigns that are put out by the likes of Papyrus and Samaritans. And I think obviously the biggest thing that would make a real change would be a, a, a vast increase in funding and allocations of priority to services by the government. Um, and, and I'm no expert on how that works or what services need to be improved in particular areas. But that would be the, the biggest thing. But then in, in terms of day-to-day, the way that suicide is handled, I mean, you look at the likes of Coronation Street, who had that storyline last year, I think, about suicide. And, and, you know, talking to the charities about these things is so important to get the wording right. Um, and, and we're looking at the changes and, and taking away the word commit from committing suicide, which was, you know, the generally accepted way to talk about it because you know when you do look at the language that's so crucial commit you know has the connotations of crime and and of something wrong and and almost heinous but taking your own life or died by suicide is a much um for lack of a better word compassionate way to talk about such a desperate and often isolating state of mind for the person who does take their own life. Yeah, as you say, it's interesting the way that media re- re- report on on suicide, and and you know often, you know uh, we, we we get we get so caught up in our day to day lives, and often you know I know that you mentioned in one of your articles that often people complain about their train being late rather than trying to imagine feeling that desperate and isolated that they uh, they jumped in front of the train tracks and and how. As a society, you know how how have we got how have we got to that, and you know, and where and where's the uh, the human compassion? There? I, I think you know that's that's a topic we could have a podcast on our own for that topic for a series, let alone just a brief amount of time. But I, I think at the core, we're so invested in our own lives, and and you know, part of that is that the way we live and and are encouraged to be selfish and spend and work and hustle and constantly be switched on in this world that, you know, the news cycle never stops. You can always find something to complain about online or, or have an argument with someone. And I think we just stopped leading with compassion. Um, and I, you know, I, I'm not this, you know, this yogi person that is completely zen all of the time. I, I certainly don't aim to be that way either. But I, I listen to the likes of Brené Brown um, and people that do talk about vulnerability and shame and compassion. And, and, and just going through my own experiences of, of when I have opened up online and, and speaking about what I've been through has led to me talking to you now in and amongst everything else I've had the privilege of doing. But I think the biggest thing is that we forget that everybody else has a story. Everybody else is coming from a place that you have no knowledge of. And and it's something that we forget because we're so caught up in the day-to-day grind and the hustle and the bustle of life. And, and, it's almost that, you know, we don't stop to think anymore. We're, we're just so switched on 
that we can't process the fact that somebody might be struggling. And, and it makes me so sad to think that someone is more concerned about getting to their job than the fact that another person has taken their own life in the instance of, of you know, like a train delay. And, and you know, I, I do sit and wonder how we have got here. And, and, and I think, you know, all of what I've just said and more probably, um, but, but we can always do something to change it. It's funny because you talk about everyone having their own story. I, I lost my brother in 2013. He struggled with mental health um, issues all his life. And I used to think that I used to have my own preconceived ideas and thinking that suicide was a, a cowardly thing to do. And I've completely changed my mind on that. And I, and I, and I think, you know, ultimately... You know, also like you're talk, even talking about suicidal feelings isn't isn't cowardly at all, and and I think it's an incredibly brave thing to do. Uh, and you know, it, it, and 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 I feel passionate, kind of that 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 by talking about it, we can let others know there's always hope, there's always another way. And I I feel that you know it, it it's um it is about that having that understanding and 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 emotional intelligence to 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 try and understand that if someone's feeling that low they 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 don't think there's any other way out but my sort of mission if you like is to try and al- allow people to know there is there is another way if that makes sense yeah yeah completely and and you know like you say the, the fact that and and I'm sure you've had it from anyone that you've spoken to, and, and it's all well and good me saying, I'm sorry for your loss, but I am not part of that. But what I can say is I hear you and I understand and, and I can empathise with what you're going through. And I think the biggest thing is that that doesn't take a great amount of emotional intelligence you know, you don't have to be a scholar or a university graduate at all to be able to connect with another human. It's the most basic biological thing we can do. And, and even if you're the most extra uh, introverted person, biologically, you crave social connection and, and human interaction. And I think that is the thing where, you know, so many things, and uh, just to slightly divert, but you know when when we're looking at what's happening right now obviously physical touch is is almost sort of this uh you know prohibited thing that we can't do anymore but so much of the human emotional connection we gain is is from physical touch with other people and i think a big thing for me is that i i'm I'm very fortunate. I grew up in an environment where it was just me and my dad uh, from the age of seven. My mum uh, lived in Blackpool. Um, and, and I was brought up in an environment where I could give him a hug and talk about whatever was going on in my head. And, and I think that physical bond with, with male friendships or, or male family relationships is so important. And it's certainly something that's, you know, underestimated uh, at how much value it can add to yourself, not just the relationship you have with someone. And, and it will be really interesting to see how that plays out with the lack of connection that we've had for the last six months or so. Absolutely. Um, have you ever contemplated suicide, Richard? 
Yes, uh, there was a time in my life um, in the year um, leading up to the London Olympics in 2012. So between 2011 and 2012, I was uh, very, very ill with my OCD and depression. Um, I was at a very, very low point. Um, content warning to talk about, you know, weight loss and, and obviously suicide, but um, I dropped at the age of about 19, I dropped to about eight stone. Um, I was very, very ill um, at the point of, of dying, basically, um, because of complicated and complex OCD. And my dad, um, I was living with a partner at the time, and my dad had to sort of stop going to work to care for me. And we couldn't hug each other or touch each other. And it got to a point, and I can't imagine what this must be like for a parent um, to say to their child, but my dad completely broke down. Um, you know, he was dealing with his his dad was going through cancer and he was looking after his mum and dad and me and his job. And he, um, he said, son, I'm watching you die and I feel powerless. And if you're going to go, shall we just go together? And for me, that just completely changed my world and, and changed my life. Um, because I can't imagine what a parent must go through to get to such a point where talking about suicide with your child as an option for both of you seems like the best option. Um, and, and there have been times in my life since then where I've thought about suicide. Um, I have never had to, um, you know, go to A&E and that's not, you know, something that anyone should feel ashamed about at all. But, I, you know, for, for honesty, I've never been at that place. But I've certainly been there where I've sat and stared into the kitchen or stared at the balcony or stared at the train lines and have hovered in that place. So, yeah, I know what it's like to stand at the brink and, and look out from the precipice and, and see that there, you know, there feels like there's nothing left. So how did you kind of realise there, there was hope and that there, 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 there was another way? I think for me, as I've mentioned, I'm, I'm fortunate that I grew up where talking about my emotions was encouraged. And that has, you know, given me a really good base to, to be able to fall back on, you know, things that I know I can do, talking to my dad, talking to friends or partners. And, and it's not always the case that I can do that when I'm in those moments. Um, but I, I certainly think, you know, I'm not religious. I'm not necessarily spiritual. Um, my nan was, God bless her. And I say God bless without being religious, just force of habit with my nan. Um, but she always said to me, I'm here for a reason. And, and whether you believe in that sort of stuff or not, I always just think of my nan and, and, and her, all of what she went through in her life and, and her sacrifices and the sacrifices that my dad has made. 
and and not in a way to guilt me back into life, but to think that well that can't have been for nothing, and 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 I think about all of the people that I love and and try and focus on love because when when you are feeling suicidal, when you are in that place, you feel so alone you you feel so bereft of connection and love and hope and i think focusing so fiercely on love and people you care about and things in your life you care about whether that be a pet or a family member or a best friend i i just think focusing on that as hard as you can and knowing that there are people out there who experience this much more than you think it you know it it's much more common than we we would ever like to admit or say and that like you said there is hope there is another way there always is another way what are the signs that that someone might be struggling? You know, how how do we how do we look out for each other? That's a fantastic, fantastic question that unfortunately is not an easy answer um, because I think everybody displays that emotion differently. I think obviously some common signs could be withdrawal from friendship groups or or family, uh, you know, becoming increasingly quiet. Uh, or, or depending on alcohol or drugs or, you know, the opposite of being quiet, being excessively outgoing to the point that it's obvious that you're putting on a front or a facade, excuse me, putting on a front or a facade. But I think the biggest thing is, is you know, I certainly can only go from my experience. I, I tend, when it's, when it's really, really serious, I tend to completely shut down. Um, and it's something that, I, you know, I, I still feel shame and, and I still feel the self-stigma about it, even though I, you know, have been in and around the mental health and, and campaign world for nearly a decade myself. I, I still have that going on. But I think... You know, those are the signs if, you know, if someone drops off the radar, if someone suddenly stops replying, just give them a call, you know, pick up the phone and and be incessantly annoying and, and reach out because you will, the person who is feeling suicidal will want to try and push everybody away and, and will try and force themselves out of situations and you know, the biggest thing to do for someone looking out onto that scenario is to keep reaching out and, and you know, don't stop and, and keep telling them, even if you don't necessarily get a reply straight away, just tell them that they're loved and cared about. And, and, and that's so important. 
And as you say, there seems to be um, a fear seeing men uh, as weak and vulnerable if they talk about their feelings or, you know, as you say, there's an ongoing taboo and stigma attached to, to, to discussing these things. And these are that kind of that kind of man up kind of attitude sometimes in, in society. But I think ultimately, um, as you say, you know, it, it's just a conversation and, and just talking about how you feel. You know, once. You know, once you do that, you, you you breaks down so many of those those taboos and feelings, and 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 you find out that other people have maybe perhaps had similar feelings, and and that's actually okay. Yeah, completely. And I think the biggest thing as well, and and we're starting to you know thankfully see it now with with guidelines that charities like Samaritans and Papyrus and 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 Mind are, are putting in place. But you know, being upfront and asking the question. Are you feeling suicidal? Are you having suicidal thoughts? Saying that isn't going to make someone take their own life. That is going to encourage them to say, hopefully, yes, I am, or, or I have been having them, or I've had them in the past. And I think that's the biggest thing is that guys are more than happy to go and spend an hour talking about a football transfer in the pub. Obviously, I'm being very stereotypical here. But having that one conversation about how they feel, you know, we look at it and and, and, and the, the way that media treats young men. And, and, you know, let's take, for example, a young black man, Raheem Sterling, who, I mean, I don't know him from Adam or Eve, but for all intents and purposes, he seems like a really nice, level-headed guy who just wants to do what he loves and care about the people in his life and help however he can. And yet, if you just read stories about him, you'd think he was this really controversial, trouble-stirring person. And not only is the narrative of, of young men distorted by the media, but it's constantly fed by the fact that we constantly, you know, gobble it up and we keep reading it. And and you see the trends of boycott the sun and, and you know, whether media outlets are, are sharing views that people agree with. But I think the biggest thing is what we engage in dictates how we interact with people in our lives because they're, a, they're the views that we're going to take on. And you look at things like, um, Unilad and Lad Bible. I remember when they came on the scene and it was terrible. They were just videos of stupid things that kids were doing at university. But now they're actually confronting issues that young people face. And, and you know, I would imagine their demographic is largely male, you know, viewers and, and people that interact with their content. And, and I did um, a piece with Lad Bible uh, I think it was last year um, where, or, or was it the year before? I can't think now where, you know, we spoke about OCD and I touched on suicide and, you know, from, from an outlet to, you know, one week having Ryan Reynolds and, and Ryan Gosling talking about a film and, and doing a silly, you know, quick joke video to then having a feature on young people talking about mental health problems that's such a great transition from from the last sort of 10 years yeah definitely so richard where if if, if you're listening to this and and you are 
struggling and um, you're not sure what to do next and where to go for support, what what advice would you would you give Richard? I think the first thing to say is that if you feel you are at immediate risk of taking your own life and and that you are at that point where your suicidal thoughts are, are very extreme, I would take yourself. It feels like such a cop out saying it because I know it it doesn't always help people and and that the services are can't always cope and don't always offer the right support but please take yourself to A&E um, you know failing that please call Samaritans uh, I'm pretty confident that the number's 116123 um, but and we'll put all the details of Samaritans on the description of the, the podcast yeah, as well afterwards. But, but, but please you know contact someone if you feel you can and, and, and let someone know because if it's someone that you care about, who cares about you, the worst that will happen is that you speak to them for an hour or two hours or three, you know, please reach out because I guarantee, and, and, and it, you know, the same when I've been struggling, the I, I feel like I'm a burden and, and I'm bothering the person. But I know that, the person would rather speak to me for however long it took than get a phone call to say I'm no longer here. And I think that's the first thing is, is that please reach out, please, um, whatever you do. And, and then in terms of services, as I've said, Samaritans, uh, obviously you can contact Mind, you can contact... Um, papyrus you know especially if you're a young person um and and just know that there is help out there and and there are people who will listen to you and it's completely fine if you call samaritans and don't for whatever reason don't like the the sound of the voice of the person who answers just call back and you'll get someone else and the um again i can't think of the number exactly but you can text um shout to a phone number and, and you'll be able to talk to someone via text uh, live, you know, in, in real time. So there, there are slowly more and more services there, but but please, if you are feeling desperate, take yourself to, to A&E or contact Samaritans. And what can people do listening to this that aren't feeling suicidal but want to, to help people in the future that might be feeling suicidal? First of all, if if it's something that you'd like to do to kind of, you know, generally to help, then that's A, that's fantastic, and B, uh, volunteering is a great start. You know, as I've said, whether that's with Papyrus or Samaritans um, or other mental health services, if you can volunteer, especially now um, because of, of the way the charity sector's been hit, then that's fantastic. Um, but also, you know, on a personal level, if it, if it's something that you're worried about, a friend or family member, uh, or just a, a stranger that you, you might be in contact with a lot of the time and, and you're concerned, just reach out. Uh, and, and, you know, it's a difficult conversation sometimes. I'm, I'm not going to pretend it's not, but sometimes it is worth, you know, talking to people and you bring up the issue and you say, look, if you're ever feeling suicidal and, and, and again, say the words because 
if we don't start talking with words that are relevant and using correct language, things won't change. Um, you know, it, I, I so often see it where people say, oh, are you feeling like you don't want to be here anymore? Or, you know, say suicidal. The, the word isn't the taboo. The way we um, interact with the word is the, the emotions and the connotations we hold and place on that word. That's the problem. Um, and, and I think personally, as, as, you know, as someone who has had them myself and has supported people that have had them, you know, in, in my life, it's so, so vital to say the word and, and, make it a talking point and and just like it probably is very difficult for some people to talk about race and racism at the dinner table or on the couch or at the park or wherever you are with friends and family talk about suicide openly um, and uh, and make it a point of conversation exactly and you know even this podcast is is helping you know just normalizing the conversation around suicide and 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 and, and allowing everyone to feel comfortable about having those conversations uh, i should say as well this morning i i um completed an online free training course which took about 20 minutes um which was designed to show how to have a direct and honest conversation about suicide and mental health with friends and family um, and I'll put the details in the podcast description. It's de- developed by the Zero Suicide Alliance. And yeah, it's a great training program, just 20 minutes. And just, just allows you to uh, feel comfortable about having those conversations about suicide. So I, I really recommend that. It, it could be a, it could make all the difference to, to someone in, in need and ultimately save a life. So I do recommend that you take that training if you get a chance to. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, touching on what you've said there, that's so important that, you know, okay, talking about it helps and, and, and does and can save lives, and, and that's so incredible. But also you have to remember your own health and well-being, and, and maybe if you're feeling upset or worried or not in a great place, you're not the best person to have that conversation. And I would certainly encourage people to reach out and support people only if they feel they have capacity to do so. Um, One of my dearest, dearest friends, uh, Rachel in Manchester, um, she loves houseplants and orange soda. And uh, she is the kindest, most caring person I know. And we have such a unique friendship because we don't necessarily talk every day we don't even necessarily talk every week but we're always there and sometimes we'll pick up chains of messages or phone calls or voice notes from days or weeks passing and I think that's the key thing so so much of our lives now as I mentioned earlier are so immediate and so switched on all of the time but making sure you have the energy and capacity to be there for people is so, so important. And and I know that that's taken me a while to learn and to appreciate and accept. But like you said, taking a course like the one you've done, which I haven't taken myself but have heard about, um, that is such a great thing to do because it gives you the tools, you know, 
a mechanic or a plumber wouldn't show up without the things they need to do the job. And, and okay, it's not a job that we're doing, but, you know, it's a massive priority and it is a big deal and it's, you know, a really difficult thing sometimes to have that conversation. So being as prepared and as open to having that conversation as possible will only be a good thing. So final question, Richard. So if you could go back to whether you, when you were six or seven, what, what advice would you give to your younger self? Ooh. Um, I think the biggest thing for me in my own personal life and, and, you know, the biggest thing that I see in other people's lives is this issue that we have with shame, uh, However that comes into play, whether it's something in your life that you're ashamed about or there was shame at home, confronting shame and, um, you know, never fear talking about what's going on. Um, and, and, you know, although it's so difficult to try and, and comprehend when you are younger, always, always just talk and be open um, and, and, you know, I know there are people in my life that don't even agree with this, but I will always talk about something sometimes to my detriment because by sharing what I'm going through, it helps me. And that's a personal thing, but nine times out of 10, you're going to help someone else. And, and the amount of times I've spoken about something when I've been really, really worried about it. And then people have said, Oh my God, thank you so much for talking about that. I've been going through that recently as well. Um, and I think if if you've got parents or guardians or, or care system or people that you can trust, trust in them and, and lean into that relationship and that bond because that's going to be the thing that, that carries you through and, and human connection and and that empathy that we naturally have with other people is the biggest source of hope and positivity we can rely on. Richard, thank you so much for speaking to me today. I feel honoured to, to get the chance to, to talk to you about this. And I think you're doing a great job in talk, talking about suicidal feelings and the fact that it isn't cowardly to have suicidal feelings. And ultimately, talking about your feelings, as you say, is an incredibly brave thing to do. And and, and you know that we always should remember there's always hope and there's, there is always another way so thanks again for your time Richard. No thank you John I, I, I really do appreciate it and, and yeah it, it's such a great privilege to be able to do things like this and, and especially with people like yourself who, who clearly are, are passionate like me as well so you know I'm really grateful thank you.